Well, um, following on from a number of other services where folk have commented about what did you get for Christmas, I got some books. And uh, one of the, th uh, the books that I got um, was the story of Chernobyl. You know, some nice light reading from my mother-in-law. <laughs> he has asked to borrow the book after I've finished with it. Um, Hardback Red actually is as a Russian translator. And so it's the interest in the country um, rather than in the nuclear science that goes on with it. Um, the book tells of how in 1986 uh, an explosion took place which led to contamination across um, much of northern Europe. Uh, it speaks of the impact on the health of those who responded as well as the wider population and how the event and aftermath also contributed to the breakup of the Soviet Union. Well, I wonder, I wonder, um, I, I was at school at that time. I was in what in Scotland we call uh, fifth year, but it'd be a lower sixth uh, uh, in England. And uh, uh, I was at Lockerbie Academy uh, doing my hires, maths, physics, chemistry, and so on. We usually take about five hires. And uh, what happened where we were um, in that bit of uh, Cumbria and southern Scotland is that the, the radioactive cloud from Chernobyl came across. Um, and they ended up having to take a lot of the lamb off the hills. At the same time, the school canteen started doing a run on lamb curry. <laughs> Whether the two were linked, I've always had my doubts, but the price of lamb actually dropped because people weren't buying it, and I think maybe the council uh, bought it up. But anyway, I don't know. I, I was doing maths, physics, chemistry, geography, and English at the time. I don't know how good your physics and chemistry are, but here goes. Go. Pull this out a bit. So, let's pick back. One goes in, dee dee dee. And then, that's handy, isn't it? Uah. That becomes. Anyone able to tell what that is? Actually, I couldn't colour these bits in. I'm guessing it's nuclear reaction. Yeah, nuclear reaction. It's fission. You put one neutron into your nucleus and you get three neutrons out and a couple other things so that your uh, uh, uranium-235 goes off to be uh, and something like that and feet. And then these little bits 
Yes, that's the red pen. Go off and hit another one of these. And you end up getting another three out. And then these go off. So what's your three times table like? Right? <laughs> one times three is? Three. Three. Okay, three times three? Nine. Nine. Three times nine? Seven. Okay, three times 27? 81. 81, yeah. And so on. 243... 729, I know that because I wrote them down earlier, right? And, that, and, it, and it, it just goes from one uh, and all the steps out. It becomes rapid. It's exponential growth. And in a, a nuclear power plant, um, what, what happened at Chernobyl was that they were trying to slow things down. They were trying to do an experiment. It all went wrong. Um, and when they went to shut it down, instead of shutting it down, they did something that actually increased the rate of reaction. And that's what caused the explosion uh, because of what they'd been doing earlier. Normally in a power plant, you soak up some of these neutrons. And it stays at a gentle hum. One becomes one, becomes one, becomes one. And it becomes nice and warm. Um, in a warhead, you actually reflect them all in, and it speeds up the process, and it goes a lot quicker, and you get lots of energy out really quickly. The early church was like this big explosion. You had one little thing going in, and the message kept getting passed on. You tell one person, they'll go on and tell lots of folk. And those people will tell lots of folk. And the word spread. And particularly when you're starting with Pentecost and you've got 3,000 believers added to the number that day, you've got a big number, not one going in at the start, but a huge initial number going off to tell near and far and traveling and taking the gospel with them. And as they take the gospel, all sorts of people start to hear it. Not just the folk, the same as them. Those outside of Judaism started to hear and they wanted to know more. And this explosive telling spreads it far and wide. And so we hear of Cornelius, a Roman centurion who already believed in God, who already knew the God of Israel, who prayed daily, but yet was not really what would be considered a Jewish convert. He knew the God that they worshipped, and he worshipped our God already. But he wasn't circumcised. He didn't follow the rituals. He, he, he was separate. He was still a Gentile. And that takes a little bit of thinking about, doesn't it? A man who believed in God 
but still a Gentile, a man who believed in God, but yet probably didn't really go through the rituals, wouldn't be accepted by others. And it would normally have been unthinkable and unclean for Peter, a Jew, and his Jewish friends to enter the home. But the Spirit has been acting both upon Cornelius and upon Peter. The Spirit has been moving them ready to get to the point where we have today's reading. There has been spiritual preparation that brings the two together. And so Peter comes and he preaches the gospel. He preaches his account of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and speaks of the Great Commission to go out and spread the word, to carry on this great explosion of going out and communicating. And he does it with his first-hand report. It's not on account of what a mate down the pub told him. It's not a friend of a friend told me. It's not sentry and fourpence we're going to a dance. This is it. And it's why it's important to, to use this for us to use this when we're thinking of sharing our faith with others to get <coughs> the actual account. And here, Peter is giving a true and accurate statement of the gospel because it is his telling of the gospel. Timothy Keller in his book on preaching, says that for a sermon to be great, for it to have true impact, there's a couple of things that have to happen, and one of them can be split down into two halves. The preacher has to have prepared faithfully and then present it in an honest way. And that's kind of one half of a great sermon. But even with that, it's only got to be good. Even with the most preparation that you can possibly imagine, it's only got to be good. The other part, the important part, the thing that takes any sermon and moves it on, the thing that takes any sharing of our faith and moves it on, whether it's in a church or in a cafe, in somebody's house, is the Holy Spirit. The preparation of the Holy Spirit upon you, upon the one that's listening, both beforehand and during the time of that shaving. It's all about the Spirit's presence. It's not about gimmicks. It's not about 
what quarks, it's not about how good our illustrations are and whether they've just gone whoosh over everybody's head. That's not it. It's all about whether the word is heard and whether the spirit takes that and moves it forward because it's the right time for the right person. And that's what's happening in this passage. The spirit has been there in the preparation of Peter. It's, the spirit has been there in the preparation of Cornelius and those that have invited Peter to preach. Peter, of course, didn't need the hours of reading and writing and bashing at the keyboard um, that folk might spend today. He has had three years as a disciple of Jesus, and then some. He shared in the meal as the bread was broken, as Jesus held the cup and said, this is my blood. He was at the arrest. He heard the cock crow. He had the experience, too, of seeing the empty tomb and the folded grave clothes and the presence of angels. He shared fish with the resurrected Lord on a Galilee beach and received that great commission. And then a few days later, with a vision of flames and the sound of like rushing wind, was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Spirit came at Pentecost and gave him that ability as a humble fisherman to step outside the room and speak to the crowd of thousands. He had that experience and he had the Holy Spirit. Peter preached and the spirit that had called and led the apostle to this gathering of Gentiles moved among the group, filling their hearts and minds and pouring out the presence as promised by the prophets, as promised in Joel. But this time the spirit, which is already present, is being poured not among Jews, or those that have gone through a Judaic conversion ritual or circumcision and baptism, which was normally part of that conversion. The Spirit is poured upon Gentiles. God is not showing favoritism to who he will call, who he will set aside, who he will anoint with the Spirit. Baptised in the Spirit, they were then baptised with water. As I said this morning, as regards the baptism of Jesus, it's not directly about making a physical or spiritual change occur in the individual but believers' baptism is an outward expression on the inward change that is taking place. It's the sacramental act 
of becoming a member of the one church of Jesus Christ. And it acts as a reminder to the individual and to all that are in attendance about that individual's commitment to repent, believe, and follow the way of the Lord. But of course, that commitment, that baptism is not the end of the process. It's a step on the journey that goes on and goes on and goes on as we continue to grow and learn and discover more about how wonderful our Lord Jesus is. And we see that in this passage too. Because having been baptised in the Spirit, having been baptised in water, they invite Peter to stay with them for a few more days. To stay with them. Not so that he can have a bit of a holiday, but so that they can continue to learn and grow from him that they continue to take in understanding, that they can develop their faith more. What do we learn from tonight? I imagine you will not take away a bit of nuclear science that you can take down and recycle. That's not the purpose. But that model of growth, that telling and telling and telling, that one going in and three coming out, is what happens in revival. It just takes a believer to win two converts, and each of them to win two, and each of them to win two, through ten iterations to go from one person to over a thousand. The question is, do we tell the story, having it deep in our hearts such that we can tell it honestly and truthfully, and in a way that the Spirit will take and use? Do we tell that story It doesn't matter who the recipient is. God welcomes everyone, whatever their background, Jew or Gentile, female or male, young or older, wealthy or struggling to get by. The message is for all. But Spirit will be preparing some to hear that message. The Spirit will be giving us opportunities to share that message. And so when we think of this passage, we need to be prayerfully seeking who it is that the Spirit is leading us to and how we may share that great story to one who the Spirit is opening the ears of and preparing them that they will receive the good news as these Gentiles along with Cornelius did. That they will choose to follow 
that they will receive the Spirit, that they will be baptized. And on from that, be disciples growing in faith. May we hear the Spirit's guidance. May we be led and may we proclaim the good news. Amen.